You're listening to episode 356 of the Membership Geeks podcast. Today, I'm talking to Kenda McDonald from Automation Ninjas and the Marketing Automation Academy, all about the psychology of the customer journey and how better understanding buyer behavior will help us all to grow our memberships. Let's do this. You're listening to the Membership Geeks podcast, bringing you proven practical tips and advice from the leading experts on growing a successful membership business each and every week. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Morrison and Callie Willows. Well, hello there. Welcome to this week's episode of the Membership Geeks podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike Morrison, joined as ever by the one and only Callie Willows. Hello there. And I'm very excited about today's episode because we are featuring a very, very smart cookie in Kenda McDonald from Automation Ninjas and the Marketing Automation Academy. And um, Kenda's a, a whiz when it comes to marketing automation, but it's really the thorough understanding of the customer journey and the psychological side of buyer behavior that she has kind of a unique handle on that's fascinating. And it's something that's missing from so much of membership marketing and of, of online marketing in general. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, so I was really excited to pick Kenda's brains all about this. In fact, we were originally just going to discuss the automation side of things, but pretty quickly we ended up going down the path of talking more about the neuroscience behind buying decisions, the different stages of the buyer journey. And, you know, I just knew that's where the real gold was. So this was a fascinating conversation, and I know that you're going to get so much out of it. Definitely. I'm really excited about this one. I loved Kenda's book, Hack the Buyer Brain. So I'm very interested to hear this interview, particularly in the context of memberships. Yeah, definitely. So should we dive in? Yes. All right. Without further ado, let's jump right into my discussion with Kenda McDonald. My guest today is a forensic psychology major and founder of Automation Ninjas, as well as being an international keynote speaker and the author of the best-selling book, Hack the Buyer Brain. Her biggest book bears how modern marketing doesn't take consumer behavior into consideration at all. So she's on a mission to fix that by combining her marketing knowledge with psychology proficiency. And of course, she does this, or she achieves that mission in part through her own successful membership website, the Marketing Automation Academy. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Kenda McDonald. Thank you for having me. That's an amazing intro. <laughs> it is. It is. Yes. Radio voice and everything. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this because this is a um it's a topic that interests me and the psychological element, the consumer behavior element um, really does kind of fascinate me when it comes to automation because the whole thing you think of automation, it's, you know, it's something does something for you without you needing to really engage too much of your brain. Um, but, you know, bringing the psychological element into it and basing marketing automation around behavior um, is is something I'm really keen to pick your brains on. So and I've seen you use the term behavioral automation yeah. um, quite a lot. So what are we talking about when we say behavioral automation, particularly in the context of online memberships? Okay, so it's actually, um, like most things, it's an umbrella term. Um, so it encompasses a couple of different things. So the first being understanding a little bit more about how the brain works. 
Um, so understanding, you know, why people buy, um, what their purchase behavior dictates, um, and then also why they do the things that they do, the things that are going to stop people from doing stuff. So things like cognitive bias. So it's bringing all of those um, sort of the, the whys behind the brain effectively um, and how that affects your marketing into play. So that's the first element, a little bit of nerdy psychology stuff. The second element is the actual physical behavior that people are displaying. So taking a look at what people are interacting with on your website before they become a customer and allowing um, that to um, inform your uh, sort of profiling and your segmentation and your understanding of what that person needs in order to become a customer. Um, so how their physical behavior that they are displaying as they interact with your content and with your website, therefore dictates the marketing that they should receive. Um, and then, of course, the important part for membership sites, watching how people interact with the content on your membership site and therefore um, what information should be given to them um, to help them stay. So how do you keep them in a consumption routine? How do you make sure that you're still adding value in a relevant way? And it, it all sounds really complicated, but um, it's really not. It's a, a few foundational pieces that you put in place and it will just change the way that you think about your marketing and about your automation, which is the important part. Um, and you'll put some things in place for it. But it's those two elements. It's understanding the brain and then actually tracking physical behavior. Um, and, and those two parts are, are what I would say is behavioral marketing automation. So can you give a kind of a practical example of, of, of each of those when it comes to that buyer journey, someone's coming to your sales page for the first time, or maybe it's engaging with the emails. Um, what, is, what does that look like in real terms for um, a, a, an example or a typical kind of potential member? Yeah, for sure. So um, an a good example is, for instance, if you're clever about the way that you create your marketing materials, um, we go through various different stages of awareness before we buy something. And if you're clever about the way that you craft your uh, content and you create things like lead magnets, um, we can learn about like where, where people are in the process by virtue of what they're interacting with. So if someone comes to your site and they sign up for a certain type of, of lead magnet, that can tell us how close they are to the conversion point and what information we might need to give them to help them make a decision. Whereas if someone is coming to your site and they're looking for pricing information, we don't need to do a whole bunch of, of nurturing and a whole bunch of information on why a membership site is a good idea. We can sell them on the membership site concept straight away. So um, just by looking Looking at what they're interacting with, we can understand where they are in their journey, which means we can put them into appropriate campaigns that then follow up appropriately. Because if you start right off at the beginning and someone is, you know, right in those early stages of awareness, they're not ready to purchase. And we can give them more information that will nurture them and get them to the point where they are ready to purchase. So it's it's understanding where they are and then adapting behavior that you display uh, to, to help them convert. Yeah, and that definitely seems to be something that is is missing from a lot of what's taught about digital marketing. Not you know just from the automation standpoint, but you know there's so much focus on you know getting that perfect funnel and pushing everyone through this conveyor belt of engagement that's kind of like identical for everyone. Would like I mean I, I kind of obviously you chuckling and laughing at this and this is obviously something is that a bugbear for you or is that something you just yeah <laughs> oh my god the, the the role of funnels in marketing 
drives me nuts. Um, we we really need. I mean, I'm I'm trying very hard not to swear and be extremely rude now, but but you can add your own expletives in, right? So basically, um, we need to get rid of the funnel. It's it's such an outdated concept. Um, it still has its place in terms of you know campaigns have a start and they have an end, but it's part of a customer journey. It's part of an automation journey that you need to take people through, and you need to provide different information based on where people are, and you can still do that in a structured, automated way that is easy to put together you just need to understand your consumer um but that is this whole concept of funnels has given rise to something that i call random acts of content and that's where people are so um terrified that they need to create a lead magnet or they need to create something or some piece of content they, they just create any old shit right they just create any nonsense and they just decide to put it out there um, and we get so told that we need to create lead magnets and we need to have a follow-up series and we need to have a sales series, but no one ever really tells us why we need to put those individual component parts together and, and what the content is that should be inside those component parts. And luckily, neuroscience has provided us with a little bit of insight into that. But no, I am I am not a proponent for the funnel process where you, um, you know, we know the Russell Brunsons of the world say you're only one funnel away. And that's fine when you're in a commoditized industry, but most of us aren't in a commoditized industry. That's why we have membership sites. Um, we're in information industries and we're in expertise industries. And when we're in those kinds of industries, we have to adapt the way that we provide information. And our consumers are consuming more content than ever before. They're not interested in going into your one funnels rule them all. That's, that's not how modern marketing works. Instead, we need to create something that's more flexible and more personable and more catered to where someone is in their own personalized customer journey. And it sounds so complicated, but it isn't. It's, it's really not as complicated as it sounds. It's just about understanding the stages that people go through and then providing the right information for each of those stages. And by virtue of what they are interacting with, they will tell you what stage they are so you'll know what the next step is. So it sounds complex, but it's actually bless, blessedly simple <laughs> when it comes to it. <laughs> so for, for people who are maybe aren't taking your word for how simple it is, <laughs> you know, they're maybe still kind of thinking, yeah, this, this sounds like a lot, you know, going from worrying about, you know, getting the funnel right to, okay, well, now we kind of need to have something that figures out where people are and then meets them wherever they are in that buying process. Where do they start? How do you, how do you start with adapting what might just be like a, a years old approach to, to sales and marketing? So the, the very first place I always start is, uh, is the awareness journey. Um, so do you want to do a little bit of neuroscience? Do you want to, do you want to yes, do yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, everything needs to be reverse engineered from the purchase point. And, um, thanks to the fact that most universities now have fMRI scanners inside them. Um, we've had just an amazing explosion of insight into how the brain works in the last 10 to 15 years. It's been, it's been really amazing. Um, and Professor Brian Knudsen and his colleagues at Stanford University did an amazing study where they put people in fMRI scanner and they got them to go through the purchasing process. And what this allowed us to do was to understand exactly what the brain is doing when it's buying something and when it's deciding to buy something. So the experiment was really simple. Um, they set it up so that they showed them a product that someone might want to buy. So there were lots of different products, but they showed them a product, they showed them a price point for the product, and then they gave them an arbitrary amount of money and said, would you buy this product? Um, and it was just a button, yes or no. 
um, and then scanned the brain as it was going through this process. And it was just revolutionary. So it was pretty straightforward. When people saw the product, the reward centers of the brain lit up like a Christmas tree, exactly what you'd expect to see. Um, people, uh, our brains give us a little bit of a dopamine hit when we want something. So when people are looking at your products and services and they want them, your brain actually emulates having them and gives you a little bit of dopamine to make you want that thing. Um, so exactly what we expected to see, all in line with what what we kind of wanted. Um, but it was when people saw the pricing that it really, everything went out the window um, and it was chaos. Um, so what we expected to see was prefrontal cortex activation. So that's the part of your brain that deals with higher level decision-making. So like think maths and complicated decisions and that kind of stuff. Um, we expected to see that. And also thanks to some work by Antonio Damasio, another uh, neuroscientist, we expected to see some emotion center activation because we can't make decisions without emotion getting involved. Emotion helps us understand what is good and what is bad. That was what we expected to see. All logical, sounds perfect. Not what we saw at all. <laughs> like None of that happened. Instead, it was the pain center of the brain. So literally the part of the brain that's responsible for like emotional trauma or physical trauma that, that lit up like a Christmas tree. And everybody was like, what? This makes no sense. Wow. We have to remember, like, at the end of the day, we evolved to survive. We did not evolve to buy stuff. So the, the brain is hacking itself all the time to kind of get by in, in modern life with the weird situations that we've put it uh, put it through all the time. Um, so, yeah, that's how the brain understands pricing. And so this was like already like, wow, OK, that's weird that that's happening. But what was even cooler was that the neuroscientists, um, as they were going through the experiment, they could watch people's relative brain activation and go, that person's going to buy and that person's not going to buy um, before that person had decided whether or not they were going to buy, before they pushed the button to say yes or no. Um, so that gave us the purchase formula. And the purchase formula is that the net value of a product, so the likelihood of someone purchasing, is equal to the amount of um, reward activation that the brain gets when it sees your product, minus the amount of pain activation that it has when it sees the pricing. And really what that means is that you have to have more reward activation than you have to have pain activation. And the challenge that we have is that in sales and marketing, we always try and reduce the amount of pain activation that someone has. That's the whole thing that we focus most of our campaigns around is to try and make sure that people aren't feeling pain when it comes to the pricing of our products and services. And it is the one thing that we don't have control over. We don't control how people react to monetary amounts. We can we can minimize it a small amount, but we can't we can't control that and we cannot mitigate it because that's how the brain understands um, pricing effectively and money. But what we do have a lot of control over as brands and as businesses is the reward activation. So I know we're getting a long story now, but um, coming back in a loop. That reward activation needs to be as high as possible. Um, and we have control over how people perceive our brands, how people perceive our businesses. And the fascinating thing about this is that none of that happens at the point of purchase. That is all decided pre-purchase as people are going through their, their consumption journey and as they're deciding whether or not to become a customer. All that reward activation is happening there. And we can, with content and the information that we put out there, increase the reward activation. The challenge is that value is variable and what is valuable to the consumer and therefore what gives them a reward activation changes as they go through the purchasing process. And that is precisely why I get people to focus on where people are in their individual stages. 
So we have these amazing stages that were originally created by Eugene Schwartz. So in his uh, book, Breakthrough Advertising in the 1970s, um, this actually maps perfectly to the, the general learning process the brain goes through when it's deciding to encode or recall information. I just don't like to use that because it's boring psychology babble and Eugene Schwartz's stages are a lot more fun, um, but they map perfectly, right? So we go through this little process of awareness before we buy a product or a service. And as we go through each stage of that, there's five stages, as we go through each stage of that, what is valuable to us at each stage changes. And the information that we consume changes. And therefore, the reward activation that the brain gets changes. Now, the great thing about this is we're all going to do it. Doesn't matter if you're B2C, doesn't matter if you're B2B, doesn't matter if you're B2G, we're all going to go through that process. The only real difference is in B2B, it's more protracted than it is in B2C, which is very rapid. Um, so if you understand those stages, it then becomes very easy to create lead magnets and the appropriate follow-up campaign for that stage. And then you also know that if someone is at this stage, I need to move them to the next stage. Um, so that entire complicated sort of explanation with the neuroscience behind it is just to give you guys a bit of context as to that's what the brain is doing. But luckily, we have these five stages that we can refer back to. And when you understand what those five stages are, it becomes really easy to create lead magnets because you don't have to be, you know, sort of putting your finger up in the air to try and pull something as some kind of idea out for a random piece of content. Um, you don't have to panic about it because literally what your audience needs at each of those stages is what you need to create. So yeah, it's um, it can be very structured and very easy. So in terms of kind of where to start, it's really about knowing what those stages are and then yeah. is, it, is it creating those lead magnets or getting started with a piece of content for each of each of those stages. Yeah. That's exactly what we suggest. And I suggest moving from the bottom up, which seems counterintuitive, um, but you always want to be moving someone from one stage to the next stage. So if you start from the bottom for the people who are most aware and like who are ready to buy and yeah. you have content that, you know, matches that stage, you always have somewhere to push the next lot of people to, right? So if you move from the bottom up, you're, you're actually pushing people down a process, which is, which is easier. So basically I always say, understand your awareness stages. Um, and um, I can actually give you, do you, do you do show notes, don't you? We do. Yeah. So I can give you a PDF for people to, um, that explains the awareness stages and an exercise to help you understand those stages. So Excellent. Because um, that would have been the next question. What are those stages? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the stages are pretty straightforward. Everyone starts off unaware that they have a problem or an issue, right? Um, and in the unaware stage, we're not paying attention to advertising and stuff because we don't know that we need a product or a service. Um, it's a very wasteful stage. And unfortunately, a lot of businesses advertise at that, at, at that point. Um, but what we do have in the unaware stage is very often we have symptoms for a problem, but we just haven't put our finger on that that's the problem. We haven't had that, that aha moment and been like, oh, no, <laughs> this is an issue that I need to deal with. Um, then there is a catalyst. Something will happen and we'll become problem aware and we'll realize that we have a problem or we have an issue. Or we have something that needs solving. And when we are problem aware, um, this is our massive research point. This is the point that Google calls a zero moment of truth. It's the point that we turn to the Internet. It's the point that always has the highest search volume in pretty much any customer journey. Um, so that's the point in which we're looking for and trying to understand information around our problem. We want to understand what our problem is, what the width and breadth is of our problem, but we're not interested in buying something. Um, so we're trying to understand what the issue is. And once we are clear on what the issue is, our information consumption changes because we become solution aware. So we're like, okay, I know what my problem is. I understand it. 
Now I want to know how I fix it. And as we then move into how do I fix it, we have a marked change in what we're researching and what we're looking for, right? So now we want to understand all the solutions available to us. But when we're in that point, we're still not looking to buy an individual product. We want to understand everything that's available to us. This is where things that compare different options in the marketplace are really, really helpful. So helping people understand all the solutions that are out there. So once we understand our solutions, we start to do something very important. We start to create criteria. Um, so we start to go, that solution's not for me, but I'm very interested in this type of solution. And we start to look at that solution as a whole, and that's when we start to become product aware. So when we're um, product aware, we're starting to look at individual products within a solution category, and we start to go, okay, I'm interested in this and this and this. And that's where we might start coming into contact with individual brands and where we might be interested in consuming information from individual brands, right? Whereas before, we're not really interested in that. And the brain filters out a hell of a lot. Um, so when we're product aware, we're looking for more information on specific options. And we start to build our own criteria really robustly for what suits us. So we're not just looking at what might be available. We're like, no, what's, what's best for me? So we try and build our own criteria for what suits us in that moment in time. Um, and we also try and understand what is suitable and what isn't suitable. And that's where we rely on experts to help us understand, um, you know, what, what products will work for me and what should I be thinking about when I'm making a decision. Um, so we look for that kind of information. And once we're comfortable with all the products and we decide, okay, yes, okay, I have um, a problem in making money. I am an expert. Um, I need a membership site. This is the point at which people might go, how the hell do I set up a membership site? And we move into most aware, which is where we're looking for, we are looking for solutions and we want to buy them. And this is where we're looking at individuals. We're looking at individual companies, individual brands, individual expertise. And this is the point where we're now going and comparing and contrasting things like reviews, competitors, looking at pricing, all that stuff happens in the most aware stage. Um, so when you're looking at those five awareness stages from unaware to problem aware to solution aware to product aware to most aware, our consumption changes markedly at each of those stages. And sometimes we go through it very rapidly, like in B2C, um, but in B2B and B2G, B2G is the worst, B2G is business to government. Mm. <laughs> That's the worst one. You've got many years there. Yeah, um, I got a, I got a little <laughs> shiver up my spine when you said that there. I was like, oh. No. no, 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 no. That's, no the worst. That's the worst. I've, I've had business to government before. It's it's um it's just long. It's long. It's a slog. Uh, it's a real slog. Um, but B two B is quite quite nice because you can see those. Um, you can really see the individual stages super clearly, and people spend months sometimes in each of the stages. So it can be quite fun to create content for, which is whereas B two C is very rapid, um, for the most part. So yeah, if you understand those stages. It's really easy then to see, oh, okay, someone is consuming information on how to do something, which means they must be solution aware. And that means that I know that the next stage is going to be product aware. So I know when they get to the end of that blog or the end of that video, I can suggest the next piece of content that they can go off and consume. So it then becomes really easy to structure things together. So it sounds super complex, but it's not that complicated when you break it down um, because their behavior will dictate where they are um, in their journey and therefore what the next step is that you can offer them. And that makes complete sense because, yeah, if someone doesn't even know that they have a problem that needs solving, then you're not going to be presenting the same content, the same funnel. I'm scared to use that word now. Like, you're not going to market to them <laughs> in the same way as, as you'd market to someone who you know knows they need to go through some sort of training to accomplish a problem yeah. that they've already sussed out that, you know, that they need. But most people do just yeah. give the same stuff 
to everyone. Or they look at it as, okay, well, you know, if someone's someone's in the first stage of the buying journey, that's when they're consuming free content. The next stage is when they come on your email list and then yeah. you've got to get them ready to buy. But that's yeah. like, again, that's funnel think as yeah, opposed exactly. to, it's, you know. It's super short term. It's super short term because the thing that we're trying to do, the thing that I'm always really trying to get people to think about is that reward activation. How do you increase mm-hmm. that reward activation that the brain is having? You do that by providing the right information to people and helping them at the stage that they're in um, and then helping them make the appropriate decision. And so when you start thinking about awareness rather than funnel thinking, what you start to think of is, oh, okay, if someone signs up for my lead magnet on like what a membership site is, they're right in the beginning. They're not necessarily ready to buy at this point. I might need to send a few additional pieces of content. Maybe they need to go into a couple of nurture series before they're ready to buy. You can have soft call to actions for the people who want to make those decisions, but maybe your main call to action is actually to get them to consume another piece of content Mm -hmm. up until the point that they're ready. And so basically you can then take them from stage to stage to stage in a more structured way um, and help people make appropriate decisions and then and get the conversion in a, in a more appropriate way rather than being super short-term about it. Because um, that's the thing that really makes me sad is when you see people work really hard for a lead and they've got someone that's super top of funnel right in those problem aware stages and then they sell to them hardcore and they lose that lead. And then that's, that's it, you know, because you've kind of sold at the wrong part of the process Mm. Um, so you still have your soft call to actions. Don't worry. You can still have soft little things that are like, by the way, you can check this out if this is interesting to you, but you don't hit them with a hardcore sales webinar or hardcore sales series until they're ready for it. Um, until they're in that moment, because the thing is consumers are interested in consuming content about the stuff that they want to buy. Mm. They just have to be in the right moment. And we miss that moment a lot of the time. Now, uh, the, the idea of obviously the, the reward versus kind of the trauma <laughs> that we're talking about your pricing traumatizes people um i'd imagine that's that's i mean that's going to be even more important for something like a membership site where it's not it's not a one-off purchase mm-hmm. it's a commitment to continue paying yeah. so i'd imagine the need for that reward side to be even higher is going to be to be there if you actually want to retain people because if you know, if, if there's a bit more trauma there, then perhaps there's a bit more likelihood of buyer's remorse or, you know, going into things with a bit more skepticism that might, or more of a short-term view that might lead to people just not sticking around. Yeah, and that's why onboarding and having mm-hmm. having a proper automated onboarding series that takes people through and also some personal touches where you can as well makes makes all the difference. So I always try and advocate that any membership site creates really good quality content to get people in and has stuff like everything. So you're also, you're, um, you're really showcasing your expertise as well, which is really important. If you're getting people to sign up for something because of expert status, your content should be showcasing your expert status. You know, it should have all the answers to the stuff that people are looking for. If you can't showcase that expert, uh, that expert status, how can you expect that they're going to sign up for something? Um, so, you know, you, you're kind of killing several birds. With one stone. <laughs> it's a terrible analogy. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, <laughs> one thing I'm, I'm interested to get your take on actually when we're talking about that kind of traumatic effect of, of pricing and bouncing reward and trauma, you know, with uh, not just memberships, with a lot of online products, um, the idea of using scarcity 
and in some cases false scarcity, which hopefully no one in our audience uses. But the idea of really kind of twisting that that urgency, that scarcity, you know, doors are only open till this point, only X amount of spots, bonus is only available to this point. Where does that land between kind of is it the reward of getting in so getting into a membership that's going to close? Is it is it needling that trauma to a point where people are, are you know so traumatized that they just take the easy option of joining? Like where does that land? Where does scarcity come into it for you? Um for that that on sales page buying decision kind of thing. So Mike can see my face. No one else can see my face. <laughs> it's not a good look on my face. Um, so thank you for asking that and allowing me the the, the open door to rant. <laughs> please, please rant. Um, so effectively, when you're when you're utilizing scarcity as a tactic to do something, you're not playing on the purchase formula. What you're doing instead is you're playing on cognitive biases. So cognitive biases are errors um, in decision-making and judgment that the brain makes. Um, and what scarcity does is it encourages a certain type of cognitive bias to happen. Um, and effectively, that means that your audience then makes a mistake in judgment. Um, and sometimes that mistake in judgment is buying your product or your service. Um, so you are exploiting a mistake that the brain is making. And, and that exploitation is something that is giving you money. And I'm using the word expectation very, very carefully here because it's not OK. And we should not feel OK about it. It's one of those things that's been very normalized in marketing. And uh, we should feel bad about that. We should feel really bad about that. Um, so, yeah, cognitive biases are little mistakes. There are errors in judgment. And when you utilize things like scarcity, what tends to happen is people will make snap judgments. So they will utilize the part of the brain um, that kind of uh, just sets up rules and mental shortcuts for things. It is a survival part of the brain uh, for the most part, um, an efficiency part of the brain. And it will make a quick judgment about something challenge with that is you are opening yourself up to a world of buyer's remorse afterwards because it is not a considered decision that someone has made therefore they are not trying to justify to themselves why this is a good choice they're immediately going to to, to feel negative afterwards so um it's not always the case um but it's definitely it is a cognitive bias that is being exploited i am super anti this from from an ethical standpoint um it does work for conversions 100% it works that's why people do it otherwise they wouldn't bother doing it um but that doesn't make it okay <laughs> see now for anyone who gets a little bit tired of me ranting against scarcity tactics here on on the podcast it's backed by science now so it's not just <laughs> me it's not just me being grumpy it's not just me having a, a, a bee in my bonnet <laughs> like it's scientifically backed i mean that's fascinating the idea it's triggering a mistake an error in judgment yeah like that should that should literally be all all we need to know um, Good deal. You need to know, and and that's why there are a lot of um, every marketing conference that you go into. Obviously, being the psychology person in the room, I go to marketing conferences all the time, and there's always you laughing because you know exactly what I mean. Yep. <laughs> there's always a talk at the conference about cognitive bias, and I am always sitting in the audience wanting to punch whoever's on stage <laughs> talking <laughs> about it because at the end of the day, when you are optimizing things for cognitive biases you are exploiting 
mistakes that the brain is making and it is ethically and morally repugnant and we should feel bad about it. I get really upset about it because it is not okay. Um, If anything, what we should be doing, and, and this is funnily enough what I'm writing my new book about, but what we should be doing is we should be utilizing our content to help people make better choices. That is why people consume such a huge amount of content because they want to make, they want to learn. They want to make the right choice about something. And so you you provide them with this amazing smorgasbord of content. And then what do you do right at the end? You try and trick them into buying your product or your service. Not okay, guys. We can do better than that. Um, and definitely the, the marketing world has fallen foul of, you know, in-group bias, which is where, because everybody in the group is doing it, it's fine. Um, it's not okay. Um, and when consumers find out about it, they get really upset about it. Um, and you would be too if you'd been tricked into something. So, so yeah, no, no, <laughs> let's not do that. That's your new statement now, morally and ethically repugnant. <laughs> yeah. And even for people who, where, where that's not the issue, like whether or not it's okay, you know, we can handle a little bit of um, moral, moral. I'm just combining Moracle. words, Moracle. moral and yeah. ethical <laughs> repugnance. Um, <laughs> for a membership, it's just it's just not a sustainable strategy because you 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 want people to stay for months and months and years and years, and that it just doesn't add up with the desired behaviors after the, the the sale after someone signs up it just doesn't it just doesn't fit um so yeah i think like is it works and because it yeah. works people do it but um, quite but often make, yeah right. quite often um you know the things that are the reasons why it works for the people who are the biggest proponents of it usually aren't actually the reasons that it works, there's usually other elements in play that they don't talk about. It's just that they can't sell you a $2,000 course teaching you. Anyway, let's move on because I've got a feeling that we'll both get just increasingly angry about the marketing industry. Um, <laughs> so, um, of course, you you have a membership of your own, so this isn't coming from um, from someone who doesn't have context of this industry, like you are in the trenches as a membership owner as well. Um, can you give a just quick practical example or two of interesting ways that you're using automation um, to support your membership? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I have a couple of different lead magnets that we utilize. Um, so free things that people can sign up for, and then they go into an email series. Um, so if it's at the appropriate stage, um, then we will offer them the membership. Um, the other thing that we do is we progressively profile our audience, <laughs> um, which sounds scary and creepy, but people expect it from us. <laughs> um, so no, what we do is we track the types of content that people are interacting with. Um, so we send out a weekly blog um, and we have all sorts of stuff that we put on that blog. It's all valuable information and it's all free. And what we do is we track on what people are clicking on and based on what they're interacting with, that tells us where they are in their journey and also the types of things that they might be interested in. And if they are a good fit for the membership, they will get dropped into a membership sales series for it um, at the point at which their behavior dictates that they're at at that part in the journey. So we have that. Um, And then we we have our lead magnets that are catered towards uh, the membership. And then by far, our best one is our webinars. So we have webinars and then an automated follow-up series that goes to the people who attend the webinar versus who don't attend the webinar. So we always choose a top 
topic for the webinar that we know is covered inside the membership in more in-depth detail um, is at the appropriate awareness stage. Um, so, you know, we're, we're talking to the right kinds of people. We give them massive amounts of value and we actually help solve that problem on the webinar. And then we say, if you have more issues like this or you want to go more in depth, all this content is inside uh, inside the membership. So we're kind of giving people part of the puzzle and we're saying, you know, the rest of it is here. Um, but we give people enough that they don't need to, they don't feel like they need to sign up if they don't want to. Um, the, the idea of doing the webinar is because so much of the content and training is done by me. I want people to be comfortable with who I am, the way that I teach things, the way that I talk about stuff. Um, and I also want them to want to go further. I don't want them to feel like they have to sign up in order to have their problem solved. I feel like, you know, so I give them enough that they can solve their problems by themselves if they wanted to. I always give a workbook and a worksheet that we work through on the webinar. And then if people are excited by what we've spoken about, there is more in the site. Um, so it gives them a taste of, of, of what the membership is like effectively. And that works really well for us. That's um, that is our, our highest converter for sure is, is the webinar process. And that's something that, you know, is only presented to people, you know, when they've been consuming content or engaging in a way that tells you, okay, this is where they are and this is when it's right now for them to come into the webinar. You're not, you're not just blasting this all over your website or blasting it out to your entire yeah, I mean, we, we occasionally do that. Occasionally we'll go, do you know what? This content's really good and I know my whole audience is interested in lead magnets. So um, I will open the doors to everybody, but for the most part, it's super targeted. I like that. Now, obviously, we mentioned a lot of this is looking at um, people's website activity, the content mm -hmm. they're consuming, emails that they're opening, all that sort of stuff. With uh, kind of recent developments, or relatively recent developments in privacy laws and mm -hmm. changes that are coming in um, to anything that's tracking anything. Yeah. How is that affecting stuff? How 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 is that? added scrutiny that that user behavior tracking is under how is that affecting the ability to incorporate this kind of behavioral based automation into marketing i love this question um in such a great way so um it's done a couple of things it's made our lives harder in a couple of aspects so um there is a couple of things the ios uh, 15 update um which was basically um for for those not in the know it was a, a way that um, Apple decided to suppress the email open pixel. So you couldn't tell whether or not someone from Apple had opened your emails. Um, so we didn't, we weren't quite sure how that was going to work. What it ended up doing was it ended up telling us that 100% of Apple people had opened emails. So if you've seen in like the last sort of four to six months a massive spike in open rates, probably because most of your audience are Apple users um, and they're using Apple Mail. Um, so um, Really, it's only really affected open rates um, and it's skewed open rates. Open rates have always been a dodgy metric to track because open rates are tracked by a little bit of code pretending to be an image inside an email. And if that image loads, then we can say, yay, the email has been opened. But of course, if someone has their images switched off, we don't know that they've opened the email. Um, so, you know, or if someone is working in a business environment where e images are being prefetched, which is exactly what Apple is doing, which is skewing the open rates, they're prefetching the images. 
so that it opens faster when someone actually does open the email. Um, that means that you don't actually know that someone's opened the email. So email open metrics have always been unstable and they're even more unstable now. Um, so I think with some of the new changes in GDPR and what Apple's been able to, it's really telling us that people aren't comfortable with having the, like being tracked and having their data exploited. So um, I'm quite happy about this because I want people to be empowered about the choices that they make. And I want us to be more clear with people about how we personalize um, their experiences. And the, the thing is, the second you sit down with people and you explain to them, yes, we're tracking, but we're tracking so that we know when you're at these early stages, we're providing you with the right information to solve your problem. And we're only ever doing it to provide you with the right information and not just a whole bunch of nonsense. People suddenly are very comfortable with being tracked in that way. But they're not comfortable with, with happening as you stealing their data and using it in other ways. So I am definitely, I for one, welcome our overlords. <laughs> um, so I'm quite happy with having people, you know, have open conversations about this because I think it's conversations we need to have. And I think people would be more comfortable with it if they understood what's happening um, and what we're actually doing with that data. And we're not being nefarious and weird about it. Um, so yeah, I'm quite happy with those developments. I think it's important. It's not making it harder. It's just making us focus on the more reliable metrics instead. Okay. So obviously, you know, this is that whole area has been a big part of the development of, mm. um, it's not just the automation side of the stat side, just marketing in general. I think this has been something that's been shifting um, things mm. for the for the last what, five, six, seven. How long is it since GDPR came in? Was that 2016? 2017. I don't even know. Ages ago. Um, it's a long time, yeah. yeah, and I'm sure there's there's more to come. But what? Where do you see things going in the future when it comes to like marketing automation, behavioral automation? Like, mm. is there anything you see developing like now, or, or stuff that people might not be aware of that's coming in the pipeline that we can start thinking about? There isn't anything significant at the moment because of the fact that GDPR changed the landscape so significantly and then the cookie policy update and then iOS 15. I think the industry is reeling a little bit under the weight of those changes. I think they're important changes. I um, I do welcome them because I'm I'm here for openness um, and you know being able to help people in the most appropriate way possible. I think the thing that is going to happen is that people are going to be more and more conscious of the sneaky shit that marketers are doing all the time. Um, and that is, should be a big warning sign to us. Um, it should be a warning sign that we need to be better to our audiences. Because funnily enough, when you're lovely to your audience, they don't mind. But when you're being sneaky and underhanded and only doing it for yourself, they mind a lot. So there isn't anything major that's that's up and coming now that, that I'm aware of at any point. And I'm on the Data and Marketing Association email council because I'm that much of a nerd. <laughs> um, but so there isn't anything huge in the pipeline at this point in time that that, that I'm aware of. Um, but that being said, I think there is a bigger shift in what consumers care about and we should be paying very close attention to that and we should be showing and showcasing and proving to them that we're here to help and we're here to help them make more conscious and more um and more appropriate decisions rather than tricking people into doing stuff um so i think there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a signal in there that a lot of us are ignoring um i'm not in that camp but i think a lot of people are ignoring those warning signs something this is a total kind of random um tangent but this has kind of popped in my brain from mm. like what we talked about about 
people doing that research or, or the way that mm-hmm. people buy and, and kind of understand um, what they need and how that understanding and everything changes. Um, at, a, I was at a conference recently, there was talk from um, a guy called Robert Rose who kind of floated this idea that the empowered buyer or the mm-hmm. idea of an empowered buyer is a bit of a myth. More mm-hmm. particularly, the idea that buyers want to be empowered, that mm-hmm. they want to research and understand what's on the market and all of that is a little bit of a myth and that maybe you know it's it's more of a sign of they kind of feel they have to do this research or they have to almost become subject matter experts before they feel comfortable making a, a purchase because the alternative is terrible because marketers are are not good at Mm. providing the right information at the right stage at the right point um mm. so yeah it's just something that kind of stuck with me this idea that we almost take for granted that isn't isn't the internet fantastic when you want to buy something you can research you can look at all these reviews you can do all this amazing stuff mm. actually the idea that people would rather not have to do that we're just resigned to having to do that i'm really intrigued by that I would like to hear this talk and here is uh, here is data points behind it because uh, certainly the behavior does not display this <laughs> but but I'm really interested I'm interested by that concept um I'm not sure I put as much stock in it this is a very snap judgment based purely on what you've just said I have not listened to the talk <laughs> and I'd really like to I'd really like to do some stuff on that um but we've always always been like this we've always researched a lot um it's just that the internet has enabled us to do it to a much deeper degree than we could do it previously and we used to rely instead on a lot of word of mouth and a lot of discussions with people um we are at the end of the day an extremely social species we evolve together in social groupings and we rely on what other people are, are saying to develop our opinion of whether or not something is right or wrong we are not individuals in the way that we think we are individuals and really the the internet is is just an extension of 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 that um, an extension of that collective that we are as human beings and that desire to make the right choice is a reflection in the way that we are interacting with stuff and we're making decisions so um I'm really interested to see that talk. I would disagree with that at this point in time and say that most people want to make good choices. And what constitutes a good choice is so different for different personas, for different audiences, for different social groupings. Um, And it's not always the best product. Sometimes it's the most ethical product. Sometimes it is the product that is going to have the best outcome, not for you, but for everybody else. You know, so there are a lot of things that go into our choices. Our choices are so complex and our judgment is so complex that I'd be I'd be very interested to see what what kind of I want to see that talk, basically. Yeah. And and again, it's I think it was um, yeah, it was a small point in the talk and it was just kind of floated Mm -hmm. this idea of, you know, instead of just like like people don't want to have to learn the ins and outs of a particular industry in order to feel confident in being able to, you know, buy and feel comfortable that what they're buying is right. Um, and that we as marketers could be doing a better job of not over-informing and over-educating people. Um, we have a yeah. cognitive bias that makes us go and look for information. So <laughs> we'd have to we'd have to overrule that first, which is really hard. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. That's that's yeah. an interesting concept. I wanna I wanna see more about that. Yeah, but I just like the whole thing of actually just 
being made to start thinking about what's behind buying decisions a bit more instead of falling into that yeah. cookie cutter kind of thing that is taught around online marketing and seemingly only really around online marketing because a lot of this stuff, like anyone who's coming from a traditional world, a traditional business world is probably thinking, well, yeah, you know, buy a journey and understand like, but in the online space, I do think it's, it's become so gimmick driven and so one funnel away um, and all that sort of stuff that, um, yeah, people don't people don't actually put as much thought into the the human side of it. Um, and I think when yeah. Yeah. go on, go on, no, go on. I was going to say, and I think obviously you know you coming in with the well, you know, this is actually what the human side is in terms of how the brain works uh, is is fascinating. I think the the problem with it is that what we've done is we have effectively the whole point of marketing automation started off as how do we sell in a more efficient way and. Originally, if you looked at the the tools and the technology um, that was created, so like going back when I first started in the industry 10 years ago, um, there wasn't a hell of a lot that you could do. Like think about MailChimp 10 years ago, like sweet baby Jesus, there, there wasn't much that you could do in MailChimp 10 years ago. You could pretty much, someone's put themselves on a list and you send them a thank you email. You couldn't even really, and then you do an email broadcast. And that was like, whoo, the height of technology, right? It was so exciting. Um, so I think what, the whole concept of the funnel was a convenient concept for software in terms of making software do something appropriately and a way of kind of shoehorning the sales process into the way that software worked at that point in time. I mean, we have come so far in what we can do with marketing automation now and how we can personalize the process. We've just forgotten to step away from the funnel. And, and to HubSpot's credit, HubSpot are not my favorite marketing automation tool. They're amazing, um, but they're not my favorite. But ages ago, like eight years ago, maybe a little bit more, HubSpot came up with the concept of turning, uh, the, the CEO at HubSpot came up with the concept of turning the funnel into a flywheel. So more of a cyclic approach, which is closer to where we should be looking at something which people can fall back out of, but then be scooped back into the process because we are individuals and we do have our own consumption routines. Um, but you can start just by understanding those awareness stages and just, you know, even just creating, even if you wanted to stick with the idea of funnels, just create a funnel for each awareness stage. <laughs> so I mean, like, if you're desperate to stick with it, just do that. But you know, try and make your, your approach a little bit more of a journey rather than just a funnel. Yes, I like that. And I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Um, if someone wants to get started on really, really, I don't I don't want to say like re-engineering or rethinking their approach because that's going to scare the bejesus out of people. <laughs> um, but if they want to learn a bit more about this, if they're as fascinated uh, about what's behind that buyer journey and that buyer process and all these different stages and how your business can adapt to that um, and Naturally, if they want to learn that, they'll want to learn it from you. So where can they go to find out more? So you can uh, head over to our site, just automationninjas.com or .co.uk if you fancy. Um, they both redirect to the same place. <laughs> um, and the uh, academy is on there um, as well as our blog and uh, lots of little freebies and informational bits. So you can head over there and, and check that out. 
thanks again to Kenda for coming on the show. I really could have kept going for several more hours. I just find all the psychological, subconscious, scientific aspects of customer behavior and how it all applies to marketing just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, me too. But I have to say, I'm really impressed with how restrained you both were when discussing some of the more, let's say, traditional teachings in the world of online memberships. <laughs> yeah, all the stuff online marketing. Yeah, all the stuff about funnels and scarcity and all that. <laughs> yeah, I've heard my fair share of your rants about those sort of practices. Yeah, and, and now I've got the science to back me up. So that it's not true. just me being a grumpy old man yelling <laughs> at the at the internet. Yeah, seriously though, it was refreshing for me to hear things talked about from that angle and with the sort of insights and experience Kenda has. And hopefully it's given you, our listeners, something to think about as well, either with things you're doing right now or when you see these sort of tactics being taught elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, we'd love to hear what you guys thought of my discussion with Kenda. What was your biggest takeaway? What was your favorite insight? Definitely. Let us know on social media. We're at Membership Geeks Everywhere, or you can post in our free Facebook group. Just head to talkmemberships.com to be taken to that group or search for Membership Mastermind in the Facebook app. Yeah, we would love to hear from you. And if you want the show notes as well as that free resource that Kenda's kindly provided, you can get all of that good stuff by heading over to membershipgeeks.com slash 356. That's it from us. Thanks again to Kenda for sharing her wisdom with us. We'll be back again next week with another installment of the Membership Geeks podcast where we'll be sharing our tips on how to breathe new life into your old membership content. See you then. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the Membership Geeks podcast, we invite you to check out membershipacademy.com. Membership Academy is the original membership about memberships, and it's the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, growing, and running a successful online membership business. Whether you're still trying to figure out what your idea is going to be and you need some help making it a reality, or whether your website is already up and running and you're looking for ways to grow and attract new members, then Membership Academy can help you to get to the next level. Not only do you get access to our step-by-step membership roadmap, our extensive training library and exclusive member-only discount and tools, you'll also become part of our supportive, active community of membership owners that will help you along the way in your journey with feedback, encouragement, and advice. All of this and more make Membership Academy the number one place to be for anyone looking to start, manage, and grow a successful membership business. Check it out and join the community at membershipacademy.com. Do you want to boost your member signups and take your membership to the next level? If so, you're not going to want to miss the free webinar that I'm running on Tuesday the 26th of March. It's called Supercharge Your Membership Sales and it is entirely free. During the webinar, you will learn how to level up your core membership sales funnel for more traffic leads and sales. You'll discover the biggest roadblocks that could be costing you sales right now and most importantly, how to fix them. And we're going to cover the key tactics that you need to have in place to successfully market and scale your membership. Plus, you get the opportunity to tap into my years of expertise in the membership space and have me help solve your current sales and marketing challenges. So, if you want to take your membership sales to the next level, join me on Tuesday, March 26th at 7pm UK time and go to membershipgeeks.com webinar 
That's membershipgeeks.com slash webinar to secure your free seat today.